Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast Live. Welcome to our first live podcast of 2023, the first of which there'll be probably many more uh, later in the year, but this is at Autosport International, uh, really the kickoff of the motorsport season, and uh, here we are on stage with three of our Formula One experts to uh, chew over some of the recent stories we've had since our last get-together and take a look forward uh, to the 2023 season in Formula One. I'm joined by the Editor, executive editor, editor of GP Racing Magazine. He's nodding, uh, Stuart Codling. Only because you're the main man now, so I don't know what your job title is. Lord of all he surveys. Lord of all he surveys of GP Racing Magazine, uh, which is well worth looking out for and subscribing to. Uh, F1 newsman Luke Smith and Alex Kalanorkis, our uh, Grand Prix editor, who joined me on stage today to go through some of the big Formula One stories of 2023 here at Autosport International. Luke, we'll kick off with one of the big news stories we've had recently, and that is Michael Andretti saying, hey, we want to join Formula One, and Formula One and the teams saying, "Ah, we're not so sure. Can you pick this one apart for us? Sure, yeah. It's been the the big news story for Formula One for the past sort of two weeks or so I'm sure everyone here is looking forward to a bit of downtime over the winter and we're thinking our oh, new cycle will go a bit cold and then all of a sudden FIA President Mohamed Ben Salayam says I want a new team in F1 Andretti jump at that and say yep we're going to be there we've got a, a plan coming in with General Motors second biggest automaker in the world you'd think huge news for Formula One and I think that on social media people looking around at what was happening there was a genuine excitement for the possibility of an 11th team on the grid and then yeah the reaction from F1 and the team has been very lukewarm they've said we're not so sure about this what impact will it have on the status quo the current teams and everything like that so yeah the current state of play is that 
we're waiting for the FIA to formally kick off that process and actually open the door for new teams. But F1 has made very clear that both it and the current teams have to approve that if it's going to happen. So it's very much in the balance if that Andretti project will actually get off the ground and happen. And what's the with the current Concord agreement, what's the situation with teams being compensated if new teams arrive in Formula One? That's something new to the rules. Yeah, so this was introduced in the latest Concord Agreement in 2020, a dilution fund, because if an 11th team comes in, that means that the revenues, the prize money, that's all split by another way. So everyone loses 10%, basically, on what they would normally be paid by F1. So to make up for this, there was a $200 million dilution fee that was put into the Concord Agreement, meaning that, say, Michael Andretti wanted to join F1, he's got to pay that $200 million before anything else. That's the first step and that would get divided between everyone else. But the teams have said, well, since then, F1's had this big commercial boom, and Netflix has happened, and obviously we're back doing shows like this, and like the world's very, very different now to how it was in COVID when that was struck. So they want to figure around triple that, maybe $600 million, something in that ballpark, to make up for the money that they would lose with an 11th team coming in. And really, that's the crux of why, yeah, at the moment, there's only really one or two teams at most who are saying, yep, yeah, we're behind Andretti's plans. And, and you thought it was just the price of butter that had doubled recently. <laughs> Inflation's gone mad, hasn't it? So a $60 million windfall would cushion the blow a little bit. But what's wrong, Codders, with an American team coming in? Are they all scared that they, suddenly all the American sponsors are going to flock to that American team? That's one of the things that have been floated. Michael Andretti says that he thinks they're afraid that um, a lot of the American sponsors will be lured to an American team. And it is fair to say that a lot of the new sponsors that have come in, uh, some of the big ticket title sponsors such as Cognizant on Aston Martin are American. So um, I, you can see why he might think that. But also he's very frustrated because last year when he was making noises about coming in and the, you know, the, the, the status quo, the, 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 the eminence greases of Formula One were saying, well, do you know, you need Formula One more than Formula One needs you. If you came back with a, a, a car manufacturer backing, we might think differently. So what has Michael Andretti done this, this last month but say, hey, I'm coming in with a car manufacturer and they're still gone. Well, we still don't like you anyway. So uh, you kind of wonder what he actually has to do to meet this bar of quality. I do feel that maybe the American angle is something that's it's playing on his mind, maybe playing on some other people's minds, but mainly it is the bottom line of these teams are now eyeing billion-dollar valuations as sports franchises, and they don't see why they should share. Yeah. And you also mentioned the, the manufacturer coming in and what impact that would be. And I think that the current teams, their worry is that it wouldn't actually be Cadillac that's going to partner with them. It would be a Renault engine rebadged as a Cadillac, which is not what teams want. They want proper manufacturer involvement. We've got Audi coming into F1 in 2026. That's huge. That's great for F1. Would General Motors really be joining F1 if it is just a Cadillac sticker on a Renault engine? Probably not. So that's another big concern for them. Yeah, we've, we've had three or four years of Alfa Romeo looking like a, a, a Formula One manufacturer when actually they've just paid to stick their badge on a Ferrari engine. And Alfa Romeo isn't even part, doesn't even have a parent, share a parent company with Ferrari anymore. So it's a pure badging exercise. And, and that was something Formula One was hoping would be disappearing along with the Alfa Romeo logo. And that's uh, what we thought perhaps VW would do when they came back in. If you think we're going to come back with that Porsche brand, our Audi brand. Well, you have one engine, 
and you can brand it. But they, you know, they were insistent that that situation might be uh, split. I suppose Porsche has IPO'd recently, so it is reasonably separate. But either way, let's bring our Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalinorkis, into this. And your thought of the state of Formula One right now. We're about to get into season five of Drive to Survive. There's never been more uh, younger fans coming into the sport. It's in a really good place. Formula One will always be a, a place of conflict for the teams because only one team can win. I think the legend was that Ron Dennis was the one that coined the Piranha Club phrase when Eddie Jordan got uh, outdone for Michael Schumacher's services. But what's your thoughts on the state of Formula One right now? And do we need new teams coming in? You're in the paddock every weekend with Formula One. Yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, you have to say it's as healthy as it's ever been. It's as good as the same. The teams are nearing billion-dollar valuations, um, things of, of, of how they're, they're adding up, um, you know, in terms of their own value of themselves. Um, there's talk about, you know, the, the Williams uh, team, the purchase there with Doralton Capital, Aston Martin uh, with, the, with the Strolls. They're talking about they got the deals of the century to get them sort of so cheap and how quickly they've, uh, they've gained value. Um, I personally think it would be good to see the grid grow. I think an 11th, maybe even a 12th team, not a bad thing. But I can also understand why the, t- the teams that are there are wanting to protect themselves, for example. You can sort of see it from both sides. They don't want, as God has said, the sort of Alfa Romeo branding exercise. You get that a little bit with Aston Martin as well. It's not a true works operation in the sort of traditional sense. Um, so I can sort of I can sort of see both sides with that. Um, but yeah, I just I, I do think that you know as you say, Drive to Survive coming back. We, we, the, the 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 new advert for that launched yesterday. Max Verstappen back on it. They make they make a little joke about him returning. Um, so yeah, I think um, it would be it would be good to see a, a major motorsport name like Andretti join the grid though. That'd be really good and a big OEM like General Motors coming in. But we've seen in the past, Alex, big OEMs have come in. Honda and Toyota have both spent hundreds of millions and had limited success for that. Do you think that Formula One is in a place now that the, the big automakers want to come in, given that they're all making overtures towards electric futures and our road cars are all going to be uh, electric? Why would they, with a, with a series that is still rooted in combustion, albeit perhaps with e-fuels or sustainable fuels or something in the future, do you, do you see the car makers, the big car makers wanting to get back into it? Because you can spend so much money and get nothing out of it if you're not successful. But I think, and this is where Andretti's point is, is that if there's more teams and a big American car company comes in, we increase the exposure for everybody. So that's the whole point. If Formula One is as healthy as it's ever been, if it's getting these amazing new fans, if the bubble is going to continue to grow, whether it will keep going, we don't know. Um, that's, that's the point. That's, that's where they get the value. You don't necessarily have to win. But I think if you think about the sort of technology as well, we saw Mercedes pull out of Formula E and things like that. That was thought to be the, the future because they, they, they felt like they couldn't get the, the technology development from things like the batteries. You know, it's, it's heavily restricted in that championship. They saw more value in going into Formula One, which has the added benefit of the massive exposure. So it's sort of win-win even if you don't win, but that's obviously a, a, massive, a massive bonus and what all the very competitive people in that Piranha Club that you mentioned want to be doing. All the teams are in pretty decent financial condition. Not that I've run the rule, you know, the rule over uh, the, uh, the budget cap personally, but... They all seem in, in, in half-decent condition. We're no longer writing articles about teams crowdfunding to make the last race of the season and stuff like that. Kind of amateur hour in Formula One. Now, we had a previous era of F1 where three new teams came in, and that wasn't wildly successful 
Codders. Should Formula One just stick with what it knows, what it does well? We've got the 10 teams. Let's carry on as we are. The attempt to expand the grid um, back in you know, 2008 to 2010, uh, it, it, was, it was well-intentioned, but I think it came at the wrong time because um, the idea was to drive costs down at that point, and one of the ideas on the table was a, a, a common powertrain, which was supplied by our, our friends and neighbours over there at Cosworth. And the, the idea was that these um, new teams would be able to come in with a cost-effective spec powertrain that would enable them to compete on a, a, at a much lower budget. And, and they would have sort of competitive breaks they'd have if, if they came in at, at a certain uh, budget. Unfortunately, the then president of the FIA had his name in the tabloids and was forced to step down. We got a new president and with that changing of the guard, the whole impetus for this cost-controlled spec powertrain kind of second-tier F1 disappeared. So even as these teams were sort of trying to coalesce and pitch for those vacant spots on the grid, the, the actual will for that to happen was disappearing. So we ended up with this absurd situation of one team never got beyond actually making a tub and was right, rightfully lampooned for being a, a bit of a shambles. And then the, the, the other teams just disappeared and one of them ended, ended up with, with the, <laughs> the, the guy who was, um, in theory, putting them under administration, sitting there in team kits on, on the Pratt's perch as if he was running the show. And no one in Formula One wants to see idiots like that on the pit wall ever again. So you can see why there is a defensiveness. <laughs> I think I remember a TV interview with him in the, in the pits or the paddock at some point before that race and he just looked wide-eyed and scared of Formula One. We had a full press conference with him as well, and I remember the mo- it was just so bizarre, because it's like, yeah, if you said, right, here's the keys to an F1 team for the weekend, you're, you're obviously going to take that. You'll take but it, right? It was still just a, a really bizarre situation, and thankfully yeah. we're so far from that now in Formula One. Yeah. Quirky story, but put it in the past. There was, a, there was a fascinating story about the lower levels of association football on the Guardian recently, uh, and Crawley Town have been acquired by some crypto currency dabblers uh, the, one of the, the chairman or whatever of which now sits in the dugout next to one of the rotating cast of managers that he's fired over the previous months uh, and apparently there was, there was one match where the, they, were, they were playing away and the actual pitch announcer was saying and Crawley Town's owner is uh, in the dugout once again he's just asked the fourth official how substitutions work, good luck Crawley uh, you, know, you just do not want these people to just meddle because they think they've got skin in the game Final thoughts on this, Alex. I'll come to you on governance of Formula One in terms of new teams coming in. Uh, Of course, Codders made reference to the previous head of the FIA, and that was in an era of Bernie Eccleston with commercial rights and and the the, the revolution that that Max Mosley did bring, I think, in terms of a focus on things like road safety and bringing new teams in. Um, A different era, of course, though, in terms of the ownership of the the rights and the series and the governance as well. I kind of get the feeling that in a previous life, if Bernie had picked up the phone and said, Andretti's coming in, here's the money you're all getting, now get on with it, that's what would have happened. Do you get a sense the teams are now more powerful in Formula One and they're learning how to stretch their legs in this new relationship with the FIA, the rights holders and the teams themselves? 
I don't necessarily know about more powerful. They're extremely powerful entities in their own right. But what I would say is that it's very interesting to, to note the different tone of the briefing coming out of the two sides that ultimately have a say. You mentioned Bernie Eccleston in the previous year, and now it's Liberty Media owning Formula One. They're very lukewarm and sort of siding with the teams and suggesting actually there are other people, other, other entities interested in entering Formula One teams. They're going about things a bit more quietly, not necessarily making a lot of noise and just sort of saying, well, actually, we have a say too. It's not just the FIA, but MBS, new FIA president, he's, he's, he's very positive. You know, he's, he's, he came, sort of came out swinging in the new year. He's posting all sorts of things on social media. Obviously, doesn't know how a, how a Twitter thread works. No, no. <laughs> he's posting his sort of notes into, 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 into pictures there. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's very keen of it. Maybe he's, perhaps he's made that a bit of his, uh, his mission of his, his presidency to grow the grid. I would suggest there are other things that he needs to look at, perhaps the rules and making sure that yeah. they all make sense and they work you know we don't want to have a, have a situation like the Japanese Grand Prix again there's all sorts of things that he's coming out with you know the, the sort of tightening on freedoms of expression for the drivers which I think is frankly outrageous um, so yeah there's, there's a lot going on and it's not like the Mosley Ecclestone era where the two sides are in bed together essentially they're apart so it's yeah. not it's not a foregone conclusion that things will will roll out as expected and you're a big fan of american sports as well do you see a, 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 a you know a reasonable fan of american american football american yeah. football. I, don't, I don't know how baseball works you went and saw the miami marlins play on luke's birthday i had no idea what's going on but in terms of the franchise model of, of the way that some american sports uh, can work do you think there's an influence there with the new american owners of formula one thinking right we've got our power bases in Formula One now, we're going to kind of keep them on side, as it were, and not upset not upset the teams by bringing new ones in. Because what does Formula One get by bringing Andretti in? I can understand a rules change in 2026 and VW Group coming in with one or two new teams. I, I understand that. But does Formula One not need to rock the boat, just side with the teams and, you know, if you upset Andretti, then you upset him? I think Formula One wants wants new teams to be doing what Audi did. You saw how they embraced them at the Belgian Grand Prix. They gave them a show car. They liveried it up. Okay. They, you know, they want the new, another, you know, a, a wider engine supply, things like that. So that's what Formula One wants. And I think you can see in their reaction to what Andretti's doing, they're like, you're not doing it the, the way we want. Yeah. In their terms, the right way. But that's just, that's, that's, that's how the two things are, are going differently. And I think it's also the approach from Andretti as well. It's all been very public. It's very vocal. It's the F1 team sort of saying, yeah, we're not really keen on how you're going about things. And him coming back saying, oh, you're all greedy. It's like, you've got to, there's a bit of give and take in this. So I think that we're heading for a, it could be a big political storm in F1 this year. F1 wants one thing. The FIA wants another thing. For us, covering the sport, it's the kind of story that we crave. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. We're only a week in and the politics are kicked off already. Let's move on. Uh, Codders. Red Bull, Max Verstappen, with some penalties in terms of developing their car this year because of their wrap on the knuckles from last year. What have they got to do to pick up another title or two titles this year? Well, they've got to work harder because they've got fewer resources because as part of their um, punishment for, you know, and, and let's not make no bones about it, but marginally overstepping the, the budget cap, it, 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 was, it, was a, it was a sin in the eyes of the law. It, they, they stepped slightly over the line, but it, it, it wasn't an egregious breach. But it was enough for them to get their knuckles wrapped and very deservedly be punished because the budget cap is the foundation upon which the whole commercial safety of F1 now is built. So they now have basically less time in the wind tunnel, um, fewer runs in CFD. So 
the, the effect that has on their aero research is they have to be very, very confident in whatever designs they are advancing to that stage in order to put those developments on the car. And Christian Horner came out, you know, swinging the handbag with a press conference in, in the, at the Mexico City Grand Prix saying, you know, woe is me, this is going to cost us half a second a lap. Um, predictably, rival teams said, well, you know, that's rubbish. So, uh, and, and you're not being punished hard enough. So probably the truth will be somewhere in between. It will cost them some performance, but they do have the fastest car on the grid. Uh, so where, how they develop it, well, we'll see. The main problem for F1 cars in this last year has been pretty much weight. Once they got rid of the porpoising uh, problem, it was just the weight of the cars making them understeery and not very nice to drive. And you see, once a Red Bull managed to take enough weight out of their car to be able to ballast it and prevent it understeering, Max went off and started breaking more records and strode virtually unchallenged to the World Championship. So yeah. I think a lot of Red Bull's fortunes this year depends on what the other teams have done to sort of cure their problems and strip weight out. God, it's only, if only someone had filed the feature that they're supposed to be writing for your magazine about the potential impact of Red Bull's reduced... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm practically Winter reading out my commission, aren't I? <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be in by the deadline, hopefully. Um, but I think with Red Bull, the problem the other teams face is just how good that car was at the start of the era. They're not going to lose that knowledge accrued just because they've got their you know, aero design time reduced. It's still going to keep the DNA of being as good as it was. So that's what the teams are up against. And we know that we know that Adrian New is a genius when it comes to designing these cars. So it's going to be it's going to be very hard for anyone to catch up. I do think if we're looking at potential rivals, Mercedes probably the bigger threat than Ferrari, given that they did manage to make a lot of progress. Given that they've said you know we had three or four tenths baked into the car that we could never we could never unlock. You've got to say if they if they can just do that at a sort of stroke of a pen or the you know the, the the CFD design tools you know get get unlock that potential. Mercedes is going to be a big threat in 2023. Luke, what's your thoughts on Red Bull? Christian was that that famous hour-long, hour-long plus press conference where he was indignant about the criticism coming his way. It felt at the time to me, I, I, you were there, I think it was very much closing down the, uh, you know, battening down the hatches, that sort of under-attack attitude, which can work in, you know, sports teams and football teams. Often the manager in the dressing room will pitch everyone as the enemy, the media are the enemy, the other teams are the enemy, the fans aren't on our side and they can really kind of lock down and close in and all come, come together. That's what it felt like to me. He, he really kind of came out swinging uh, and, and was like, everyone's attacking Red Bull. But now we've had a chance to calm down a little bit, look at the numbers, look at the real penalty that Red Bull's going to have. What do you think about their chances this year and, and how that's going to affect them? I think they've still got an excellent chance this year. I think that, as Cod has said, it's probably somewhere in the middle in terms of how much that development um, limitation on them is actually going to cost them. But I think that they were just so far ahead by the end of last year that obviously everyone's making these steps forward. And yes, they've got reduced testing uh, aero time compared to Mercedes and Ferrari. But I still think they were just in such a strong position. And Max was just so good as well. Like He's, he's on on another level to everyone else right now. I think that it puts them in really good shape for the coming season. I think that they've also now got this, yeah, they're, they're, they're really unified. Like, they work very well as a team, we know that. But now it's like, yeah, everyone's against us. The FIA's against us with this penalty, Mercedes, Ferrari. And that can really stir up, I think, a very, um, 
yeah, it can really bring a team together, I think, if you are sort of us against the world, basically. So. How does that play with the fans, though? Because a lot of teams are learning new ways of communicating with the fans and becoming more open as well. Sure. We've seen a great evolution from Ferrari, and a lot of praise must go to Ferrari from a previous era of pretty much like that lockdown with the media. Mm. We're not sharing anything. Uh, there's nothing wrong. And, and, you know, modern Ferrari, I'm sure it could always be better, but modern Ferrari is pretty open is, yeah. with, their, with their failings. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Toto Mercedes has done a great job as well of inviting people into that team. And obviously, Lewis, with his social media, does an amazing job of giving people an insight into his life. But how does that play with the fans sometimes, apart from all the booze at Silverstone, which we can live without? Uh, and the same when we go to Zandvoort as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can. I know that the American followers of, of the sport find it curious when I say that on the podcast because I can kind of live without the booze. But they're like, nah, that's just part of the game. That's part of sport. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not dark or serious or anything. What that does to the fans, like, is that the best way to behave, really? To lock down, to shut down, to, uh, to be under attack? Because I don't think, well, for me, it doesn't win them any, any love, really. Because Red Bull are just so good at doing what they do. They don't need to, you know, sort of be throwing punches out there. Yeah, but I think we're into an era now of F1 fandom, let's say, where there are these sort of like tribal bases. Like you've got your hardcore Ferrari fans, hardcore Red Bull fans, Max fans, Lewis Hamilton fans. And that's, that's good and bad. Like it's great that we love this passion and we love that, but we'd also see the yeah, more toxic side of it on social media with the booing, as you say. And I think that all the teams, they are learning now that, yeah, they've got to have a certain degree of openness particularly with us in the media because we're kind of how they get to the fans a lot of the time. And that's why, yeah, I mean, to Christian Horner's credit, holding that press conference in Mexico and saying, right, I'm going to talk you through everything from our side. You can then ask us questions. That's a good way to, I think, get that message across. So I think that, yeah, it's, um, I think their approach has been, I don't think we would have expected anything less. I think that's the, the, how Red Bull operate. And I think they gave us what they, I think, as much as they were ever going to give us. And I think now they say, right, let's draw a line under it. We know where we are. We're going to come out and we're going to win next year and show you guys that, yeah, we are the best team, even with all this controversy. Cotter's thoughts on how good Max Verstappen is. I think he just had to pay his entry fee uh, for his super license to go racing this year. I think he broke a record. It's about a million euros he's going to pay. Uh, I think it's something like two and a half thousand euros per point you scored, or two thousand euros. And he just scored so many points. He's, he's, got to write a check for a million euros to go racing with his super license this year which is the most i i believe anyway another little stat on that that huge list of reasons why max is just rock and roll right now he there's there's nothing he can do wrong perhaps at times i know that in the the press conferences he's been a bit frustrated with the media particularly with some of the controversy around what happened with perez and perhaps spinning at monaco and he says look you guys don't know the story and will we say, well, tell us the story. And he doesn't all, he's not a really public guy. He's not living his life in public. If you're one of his competitors going up against Max Verstappen this year, that's a, that's a pretty scary thing to go and do, right? He is just on fire right now. He's always been a fierce competitor and uh, he's a product of his upbringing because his father is quite an uncompromising individual. And, you know, we've all heard the stories of young Max having lost a kart race being basically booted out of the car on the way home while his dad drove off in a huff. You know, we can all make our comment on Papa Verstappen's parenting, but what it has produced is an individual who is ferociously competitive and he, he wants to win everything. And 
one of the, among the improvements he's actually made to his game, um, senior people in the team, Dr. Helmut Marko has said, is that it's actually improved Max in terms of his ability to win championships, but he no longer comes flying into the garage in a fit of temper on a Friday afternoon because he hasn't been fastest of all in practice. He plays the longer game. So he no longer feels that he has to win every session. He has his eyes is set on a slightly further horizon. So he's now much more keyed to winning at the right moment. And everyone who's ever worked with him says he is basically a phenomenal competitor. He'll do all the hours necessary to look at the data to find out how to be better. I mean, he's basically the racing driver equivalent of the Terminator. You know, he absolutely will not stop. And that is something that even his keenest rivals have found difficult to match. Certainly Charles Leclerc. I've, I've spoken to people who've worked with both of them. And, and they say, you know, the thing with Charles is he's different. He's got a bit more softer edge way of working, which kind of works in some circumstances. He's also a phenomenally quick and talented racing driver. But Max has that kind of shark-like killer instinct he just has to feed well we'll see we won't have to wait uh, too long to see how much that budget cap has affected red bull i wasn't here yesterday but i hear we might have slightly over catered in the backstage area yesterday of this stage area so uh, there's our budget cap blown so I, I worry for the autosport budget cap it better not be any different today but apparently it's the same excellent <laughs> Maybe Red Bull catered for us. Let's move on and talk Ferrari. Luke, let's start with you. Uh, Ferrari have got a great chance this year, but trouble at the top and a new man coming in to lead the team. What are your thoughts? Yeah, a lot has changed at Ferrari. I mean, last year was kind of touted as being the year of Leclerc versus Verstappen, Red Bull versus Ferrari, and we were all so excited for that. And then over the summer months, due to a mixture of Leclerc's mistake at poor Ricard, Ferrari's poor reliability it just faded away and it, I think denied us what could have been a, a really great title battle so Ferrari have seen fit that they need to make some changes Matteo Bonotto out as team principal understand there was a bit of friction between him and the Ferrari top brass and uh, yeah in comes Frederick Vassa obviously uh, Sauber's main man for the past five six years massively experienced in motorsport works with Charles Leclerc at Sauber when he made his F1 debut and I, I think it's a good move I think that Fred is a very he's he, he's a great guy to talk to like he's very he'll He'll laugh at his own jokes a lot. He's that kind of guy. Like he's he's very easy to get along with. But uh, I don't know anyone else like that on this stage. But, um, no, I know do I. No, but he. Um, but he's also. I spoke to Valtteri Bottas about this, and he said, "Yeah, Fred's like that, but he's also very. He's very good at laying down the law when it needs to be." I think that's what Ferrari need. You look at yeah things like strategy and stuff like that. Last year there was kind of always a well, it was actually the right call, but it didn't quite work out when it, it like hard ties and hungry it just clearly was not the right thing to do so I think that um, yeah I think there's some there's some going to be some change there I think that Ferrari are going to look at it with a fresh approach this year they've worked out I think a lot of the kinks with that car last year that we know there's improved engine reliability that's been a big focus for them over the winter um, I think there's a few sort of aero changes like towards the rear of the car especially that they want to iron out some some of the problems but over one lap it was a really quick car like Leclerc ended the year with the most pole positions even at the end of the season they were still up there so I think that yeah kind of Ferrari maybe 90% of the way there to being able to win a title 
and I think maybe a bit harsh on Bonotto that he wasn't able to have the chance to do the final 10% but I think that Fred Vasseur is going to be a good shout to get them over the line and hopefully give us the title fight that we all crave this year yeah I think I've done a bit of a U-turn since our podcast before Christmas when I was saying look you want to to understand the politics of Ferrari you need a Ferrari guy like Stefano Domenicali was a Ferrari guy for years working in that team before he he led the team he understood how it really worked the same as Binotto through and through Ferrari but now Alex I'm wondering sometimes is it better if someone comes in who's not got all of that history isn't known as oh he was the t-boy 20 years ago you know when you work your way up through a company it's different to when you come in as the boss with a fresh face you always get a different level of of respect like I say they just don't remember you from being you know the the junior guy or the junior girl so I think I've done a bit of a u-turn on that I think actually Fred Vasseur might have been exactly what Ferrari needed now in a cost cap era it's really limited of what he can affect change in 2023 but what do you think Ferrari need to change this year to do well I think you've got to look at reliability is the number one thing I think had they not had to change, turn their engines down from the sort of mid-season point though that Carlos Sainz fire in Austria Charles Leclerc's engine going bang in, in Spain and Baku if they'd been able to run at full power the whole year things would have been very very different I think um, that's, that's got to be that's, that's ultimately what cost them the most points and then you've got to look at the strategy as well that's, that's the other big thing I think there's probably an element in some of Charles Leclerc's uh, mistakes last year that he was having to compensate for his team's deficiencies and things like that. Um, but what I, what I would say with like Fred Vasseur has come in with this reputation of running a team really, really well, and I, you know, I don't want to take away from that. But go back and look at some of Alfa Romeo's races in the last few years. There's been a few weird moments. There's that amazing uh, 2020 British Grand Prix or, or the, the 70th anniversary race where Kimi Raikkonen's called into the bits, then told to stay out and he goes absolutely ballistic. Wonderful little clip. But it's an example of we basically saw that with Ferrari last year. So it's not a, it's not a guarantee that these things will continue. There was a, 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 an Alfa Romeo engineer who got himself run over in Brazil because he was sort of crossing the pit lane totally at the wrong moment. Yeah, these, these little things that they need to, need to keep a tight lid on. But yeah, I, I think reliability is a bigger issue for Ferrari in 2022 than everything else. And the noise is coming out from you know, the end of the year is that the, the, the new engine that they're developing is more reliable. Also comes, funnily enough, with a bit of extra power. But maybe it'd be better to not be making these noises. I know it came out via Haas and their, their customer supply there. Might just be a little bit better to, to keep expectations a little bit lower, keep a lid on things a little bit tighter and, and hope, it, hope that makes a, makes a big difference in the coming season. You know, Ferrari has always worked best. You know, in, in, in our living memory, Ferrari has been at its most competitive um, when they've got someone at the top who acts as an absolutely solid firewall between the team and the outside pressures of management and the Italian media. And that's what you had in the Jean Todd era, in that Jean Todd weathered everything that the media and the Ferrari management threw at him. And quite frankly, he was quite lucky to survive for as many years as he did before he put the team in turnaround. He was in charge for three or four years when, you know, the, there, was, there was no immediate uptick in competitiveness when he arrived. And he survived those years. He restructured the team. Uh, brought in Ross Braun as technical director and Ross Braun sort of acted as, as, a, as a kind of a co-firewall. What he did was he stopped 
the people in the technical department spending the first part of the morning reading what the Italian newspapers were saying about them. <laughs> and his message to the team was, just ignore what these people are saying about you. Get on with designing a car and we're going to do it this way. And uh, lo and behold, you have Ferrari basically ruining the roost for five seasons on the trot. Was that, in, was that in Ross's book? I think I read that in Ross's book. He would come in in the morning and look around the design desks. And they were reading the newspapers and all the, the criticism of the team. He's like, right, well, that's going. Yeah. <laughs> so. But it's an important thing, and it's something that I, I think it was Toto Wolff at the end of last year was talking about it, and he said that having an Italian in charge of Ferrari, it's very different because obviously the whole country looks towards Ferrari. Jean Todd, French, obviously didn't have that Italian mentality, and nor will Fred Vasseur. So... Will that bring a change? Quite possibly. It might be that Fred doesn't care what Gazetta della Sport or anyone are, uh, are saying about these things. And yeah, obviously a very well-respected publication in Italy. But the media does play such, we play such an important role in terms of the narrative. So uh, yeah, having a non-Italian in charge of Ferrari might be what they need. I mean, you wouldn't say no to the gig when it was offered, but it appears, Cottage, you alluded to this, the time that he was given to put a team together to succeed... That new role, it seems, with Ferrari's management and ownership, seems to be you've got about a year. And if you don't win the championship, mm, you're not going anywhere. Uh, you, you know, you're not staying. So, um, which, of course, is different. We're not going to go through all the teams here on this podcast, but we'll finish off talking about Mercedes, which is different because you have a leader there who is holds some equity in the team. Uh, he's got some, some wealth tied up in that. He's got a, a very important say. And uh, Alex, we'll come to you. Your thoughts on, on Mercedes this year and the turnaround. You know, at times, I thought early in the season, Toto did what was necessary and was that firewall and was very much um, publicly defending the team. Then I think we ended a kind of phase where it was a bit more critical. He opened up a little bit more and said, yeah, we're getting things wrong. Then as the season went on, Mercedes seemed to become very open to say, yeah, we've definitely learned from our mistakes, but they're not going to know, are they, till the car hits the track, not even in testing. So what are your thoughts on Mercedes this year? Yeah, I think I'll go back to what I said earlier. I would expect them to be the bigger rival to Red Bull this year, just because they've got uh, a history of making progress. I think it's uh, coming back, coming into, was it 2011 into 2012? They made a, a massive progress, ended up you know, uh, um, winning races that season. Um, obviously 2014 with the, with the new engines, they've got pedigree of, of, uh, of gaining a lot of time over the off season. And they did it in season last year during a budget cap era. I mean, obviously it couldn't have started much much worse because they you know it's the the, the ceiling you know that the progress was easier to make when you're when you're off the pace but they, they proved they could do it and I think I did I said earlier you know it's like the problem that they that we understand the problem to be was with that big floor concept not having the side pods so it wouldn't be a shock to see the Mercedes look quite radically different this year or at least radically different to what it was before whether it comes out and looks exactly like a, Re a Red Bull we'll, we'll never know Mercedes are, they're, they're the sort of top designers are quite keen to suggest you know it's not necessarily what the car looks like on top that actually makes the difference it's how it all works underneath and I think Red Bull got that absolutely right last year so it's got all the ingredients there it's a very confident team you've got arguably the greatest driver of all time in one of their cars and then you've got his sort of you know we've got the issue of Autosport magazine this week I spoke to George Russell at the end of last year and he is ticking all the boxes he won that race he didn't crack under pressure I still think Hamilton has the slight edge but what a strong lineup they've got I think Ferrari runs them close in terms of 
the, the sort of the, the, the strongest driver pairings on the grid, Red Bull is way off because Perez is, is way off Verstappen's pace. So Mercedes has all the ingredients. They've got the momentum and they've got the proof that they can do it from what they've done in the past. If they don't know, Mercedes is the next Williams. They can't afford another year of mediocrity. Lewis probably wouldn't continue because there's nothing worse than a, than a great driver having a tepid end to a, a career, I think. So this needs to be the year that Mercedes come straight back to the front of the grid. They have the culture to do it because they do say that culture beats strategy every time or cul- culture eats strategy for breakfast or whatever. The, uh, Mercedes have, have a winning culture in that whenever anything goes wrong, um, whoever ends up whoever has committed the, the, the thing that caused it to go wrong, they own it, they take responsibility, everyone learns from it, they move on. There's no public flogging, no one gets put in the stocks and has eggs thrown at them. Uh, and that is why they've succeeded over the previous years, because whenever they encounter these little bumps in the road, they get over it and, and, and they beat it. Whereas a team like Williams that used to succeed and then stopped succeeding... The, the problem they have is that their methodology is very rooted in the past and various people have come and gone at Williams and have said the, the problem they have is the culture is very indebted, there's a blame culture, if anything goes wrong you get blamed for it, you get sent into the dungeon and that sort of thing. There's very much a kind of this is the way we do it because we've always done it that way and the, the winning culture is to admit that maybe because you've won doing something a certain way doesn't mean that you will always win doing it a certain way and everything has to be up to be questioned and that that is why Mercedes keeps winning and why Red Bull keep winning and why other teams don't because they are still very much entrenched in their old methodologies. Luke, was it this year you spent the weekend at Mercedes or McLaren? What am I thinking of? Like, you got invited end, into... End of 21, yeah. I went into their uh, race support room, which is like, imagine NASA mis- mission control. What's that like being in mission control, seeing how it's all operated from base? Oh, incredible. Like, it's probably one of the best days I've had in my Formula 1 career. And it wasn't at a Formula 1 track. It was being in that inner sanctum and we had the, the headphones on and everything. And you can hear everything the strategists are saying and everything the drivers are saying when they're out on track as well and um, then yeah the drivers will come in and then they plug in the car basically so it's not publicly broadcast the radio channels and their tone completely changes because now they can speak freely without thinking that other teams will be spying on them or anything like that and uh, yeah it's, it's that kind of and I think that day really summed up the, the culture of Mercedes that it is that everyone is so united and together and that literally as you walk into the RSR they've got their trophy cabinet to one side and it's got lots of their F1 trophies lots of auto sport awards as well from, from their various successes over the years and they um, yeah they really take pride in that and that was I mean that was a weekend that was Austin 21 so they lost to Verstappen that weekend and I remember the atmosphere in the room when they missed out on pole you could tell it hurt like they were like okay well we've got to dig deep now and see what happens and and they basically were prepared to work another eight nine hours after I'd gone home to work through all the data and work it out but I think that is that's Mercedes big strength is that they know how to win but that team culture I, I think is unmatched in Formula One they are very good at saying right this is a mistake we got this wrong fix it we're not going to blame anyone there's no pointing of fingers and it'll put them in good stead i think on their way back to recovery it's always interesting to hear toto wolf when he is on a you know a management podcast or something he taught he think he's such a deep thinker about the culture of that organization um another story i either heard or read somewhere is when he first joined the team as a as the boss and came in to 
the reception. And I think it was either yesterday's newspapers were on the coffee table or it was two days old. And, and that was enough for him to be like, this is indicative of the level of detail we need to get to. Let's not have old newspapers lying around. It was something like that. And that just blew me away at the time. Like, that's the level of detail he'll go to to create the culture of excellence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were talking literally backstage about even things like Mercedes team kit and how he has such an involvement in saying, I want this pocket here or that to do that because it's more practical or whatever. And I think, yeah, Toto, he's a, I mean, all of the F1 top guys, Horner, um, Vassar, Wolf, they're all great leaders. They are. But it is that sort of culture that you want to really ingrain in your team. And I think in Mercedes, like you talk to friends there, that there's a real buy-in that everyone wants to make the team a success. Even if you're not working on the car itself, you can still play a part in what that team does. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Alex. I think they're going to be a, a big threat to Red Bull this year. I don't know if I should share this on the podcast or not, but it's not incriminating, so I will, I will share it anyway. I was working on a project at the end of last year with Mercedes that involved me being on a... Uh, the end of a Zoom call, as it were, in Toto's office. And uh, so I was connected at my home, my home office, because I was kind of producing a thing. And, um, and so they had a Zoom connection open while he was getting ready. And it was maybe midday or one o'clock in the afternoon. And so he was off camera, but talking to his PA. Um, and of course, I was listening because, I, you know, I'm interested. Um, and he just said, oh, is it possible? Could you please get me a coffee? Because I've not had anything to eat yet today. Um, is that, and he asked in such a nice, humble way. And it was either, a, you know, his PA or a, uh, somebody in the team or something. But it, that, like, that small moment blew me away how he could ask. Like, he hasn't had time for breakfast. And he, and he could quite happily say, can I get a coffee? But he asked in such a nice way to someone he must work with every day. You know, he can have a shorthand language. And just that one moment, I thought, wow, what insight into his character. So nice, so polite, uh, just asking for a coffee. Anyway, um, I don't know why. But, but not organised enough to have breakfast, which is the most important meal of the day. Well, he just, he works too hard. This is the problem. This is the problem. Uh, before we sign off on the live podcast from Autosport International, a quick mention for Drive to Survive, which does come back. Uh, it is just a, a, a monster of a series on, on Netflix. Luke, do you remember the, the first time you saw the cameras in the paddock or the first time you saw it come up in your Netflix feed or they talk about it? Did you ever imagine it would become as big as it is? No, I think it was, what, 2018 was the first year they were filming and I remember we all got to Australia and someone said, oh, Netflix are, are doing something and the format they actually started out with was very different to what we ended up with, with um, yeah, the talking heads and the very dramatic information going on. And um, it was, uh, and, and it's grown into this, brilliant beast and it's done such a big thing for Formula 1 it's, it's changed the game it's because of that that maybe Andretti wouldn't even care about F1 had it not been for Drive to Survive and its impact in the US so yeah we know that we've got season 5 out on February 24th um, Mattia Bonotto and Wine are involved I really? Think. so that's, that's about all I know about season 5 but uh, yeah, he's got a, a vineyard that's one of his little pet projects I, I, so. I thought, I thought give, given his departure from Ferrari he might end up sharing the face of the Duke of Clarence who's famously drowned in a barrel of Madeira I learn something every day with you Codders I must say but uh, yeah yeah, Drive Survive it's going to be it's going to be good and then we've got another season guaranteed next year as well it's, uh, it's done a lot for F1 I think I'm sure a lot of people here love the show and that's maybe how they got into Formula 1 so it's been a good gateway into the sport 
Alex, I think I remember you telling me a, a story along the lines of when you first started covering Formula One in the paddock and uh, Netflix would show, you'd be do, you're doing something and all of a sudden the little microphone just sort of pops up, you know, pops below and you realise, oh, okay, the Netflix cameras are rolling behind me then. And they, they really are everywhere recording everything. What's it like seeing them go around, document Formula One? You can tell when they're embedded within a team, especially during the, the, the COVID seasons, because they're all in their team kit. They're following them around everywhere. You've got, you know, massively expensive and impressive camera rigs. It's fairly obvious what's what's going on. I don't know where they do the sort of talking head filming with the drivers. I imagine that's uh, they've got a little room set up at, at every single race and things like that. But you know, I mean, it, it, they they do it, they do. It's a very good job they do for Formula One. It does make other things uh, a, a bit harder. I know, for example. Sky Sports were a little bit, uh, little bit not too happy about the amount of access Netflix was getting uh, when it first arrived. But they've, you know, they've talked to Formula One and they've had discussions and they've got what they need out of uh, out of their arrangement as well. Um, but it is kind of, you know, I think Lewis Hamilton uh, sort of quipped the cash is king uh, back in uh, back in Australia 2020. Netflix is kind of king in terms of the the media in, in Formula One. Sky Sports obviously very influential as well. For example, we were supposed to do a, a roundtable with Sergio Perez at the Abu Dhabi. Grand Prix last year, totally thrown out because Netflix were like, no, we, we need Sergio this weekend and that, that ate up all his media time. So, yeah, it's, I, I do think it's, a, it's a, a brilliant show. It's done a lot for Formula One. I do think it has its flaws. I think it's getting, is stale too strong a word? I don't know. I watched the series last year and it was, it's very samey. They set a, set a lot up at the sort of the Bahrain races and things like that. And just, I just felt like I'd seen the same episode several times. The, the, the big players like Christian Horner clearly love it. They've really embraced it. They're aware they're sort of playing these characters on, on TV and they can make big gains. So, yeah, I'd like to see them shake it up a little bit, do things a little bit differently. Good to see Max Verstappen back on it, you know. He's, uh, yes. Obviously had to eat his own words a little bit. Besides, <laughs> besides on that. But his point was valid. He didn't like how he and the other drivers were at times portrayed. And that is the sort of the, 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 one of the bigger weaknesses of mm. Drive to Survive is that they do mess with the narrative. They, they tell... The, the story in a way that isn't totally true. Does I think that bother you? That they, that it, yeah, it does bother you, me. You hear a bit of radio. You know, that wasn't even from that weekend. But like, makes me hate myself a little bit that I know little things like that. that yeah. are so so completely <laughs> it's, it, detailed. It, it's, yeah. it's when you see something happen on track and it cuts to a reaction shot of someone from a completely different race going yeah. yay, and you think well this, that this wasn't is, even then like a yeah. like a Hollywood director thinking oh I just need that reaction so I don't care where I get it from. Whereas if you love the sport. And a, a bit of a purist, you know, you want to get it right. Uh, that, that bothers me a little bit, but the, the benefits outweigh the yeah. negatives. I, I think this, the thing with scripted reality TV, not that I watch much of it, of course, because, you know... I love you know, Island Man, Codders. Uh, <laughs> surprise. Well, you know, the, the masked singer is back on TV, so that's my Saturday night's done. Um, with The thing with scripted reality programmes is that people, the people who are being filmed learn how to behave in a particular way that ensures they make the edit. You tend to find that certain personalities come to dominate. It's the people who act up, basically, and, and, and the, the, who really draw the producer's eye. If, if you're just sort of boring and you're just yourself, you disappear into the background. You see it in all these, you know, celebrity bake-off programmes and things like that. The, pers the person who makes, makes the dish perfectly and, and does it all on time. Absolutely no screen time. The person who's kneeling on the floor, sweating onto the, into their pan and going, oh, I've never even baked eggs before. They, they get the whole programme to themselves because they're considered the most entertaining. So to laboriously come back to the point, you find in Drive to Survive a very, very disproportionate presence 
from the Haas team, simply because Gunter Steiner is so massively sweary and entertaining and, and wears his heart on his sleeve. You would think Haas were the most important team in Formula One rather than the one that's like second or third from last, simply because of the amount of screen time they get. And then you get other teams and drivers who don't participate, for instance, Aston Martin, Lance Stroll, Sebastian Vettel. You, would you even know Aston Martin were in Formula One if you watched Drive to Survive? Actually, no. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. That's our podcast for today. Cottage in many things, but never laborious, <laughs> I say. Well, there we go. That's our first live podcast of the year from Autosport International. And uh, hopefully we'll do a few more of these this year now that we can get back into uh, the, uh, the real world, as it were, and, uh, and get out and meet the fans and... Uh, um, I go to a few different events but we'd love to hear from you as always you can connect with us on socials you can use the hashtag autosport podcast this year uh, if you are on twitter and you can send us your thoughts on email any questions you've got for the team and we can always get involved with uh, what's on your mind the email address is podcast at autosport.com thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next one Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.